This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. Out on the far side, Lingard was waiting for the ball and got it. It's Jesse Lingard. It is beautiful. And England have their third goal. Just opens up the space and almost looks like he hits it with his toe. Yes, here we go again. Hello and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United with me, Ian Irving. Coming up today then, we'll report on the opening weekend of the new season in the Women's Super League. We'll get an update on the United men who have been playing away in international matches and have another look at Ollie's squad. Bit of an explainer, it's strong. Well, very strong in places, but there is maybe a weak link in that chain, which we'll get to, of course. One team with no weak links, certainly, as you know by now, is the talk of the Devils team. Yes, I'm delighted to have two of them with me today. One of them's on a bike somewhere. We'll get to that as well. It's great to see you, Laurie. Welcome back. And it's especially nice to see you, Carl Anker. And Rishi, you can stop tweeting now because the man is back. Hello, Carl. Hiya. How you doing? Good, mate. Nice holiday? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Read a lot of books. Had a lot of seafood. All good. Sounds good. Talking of seafood, you would have heard about... Laurie's sort of soiree with crayfish the other week. Laurie, eh? You, you won't believe this, Ian, but I actually had crayfish yesterday as well. Oh, um, my. <laughs> I went to our, our local Italian and got the, uh, the, uh, the, the crab and crayfish ravioli. It was lovely. So what, what's better? I'm intrigued now. Swedish crayfish or Italian crayfish? The Italian crayfish. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry to the Swedes out there because I did get a few tweets actually from uh, Swedes sort of loving the fact that I'd, I'd gone to a crayfish event. And yes, we did wear the hats. Uh, we sung songs, uh, that, that, that sort of answering a few questions there. They were just little. They were in a lovely sauce. Um, you know, I think that was, that was what shone for me yesterday. A lovely sauce. Yeah. Everything tastes better in a lovely I, sauce. I should be a food journalist, okay. shouldn't I? With phrases like that, I'm struggling to understand why you're not, mate. Um, Right, more seafood updates to come, including quite a bit of Manchester United chat, as you'd expect too. But before we get to that, we need to talk about Andy Mitten because our absent friend has begun his epic cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. If you're not familiar with the geography of the UK, that's basically as far as you can possibly cycle from all the way on the south coast to right 
on the very tip of the North Coast. And here's a little update to tell us how he's getting on. Hello, lads. Hello, listeners. Sorry I can't be there, but as I said last week, I'm cycling from Land's End at the deep southwest furthest point of England to John O'Groats in northeast Scotland, taking me nine days. I've done uh, two days. I won't tell you how my backside feels. I did 183 kilometres both days, climbed between two and a half and three thousand metres each day. I got to say the first day was the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm not a proper cyclist, so I did some training for this, but there's other people doing it just zipping past me. They're like, they look like robots or machines to me. I've met some United fans on it. People listen to, to the pod and they've come up and said hello. And one lady came up to me and said, you're not missing Ronaldo's debut, are you? But she said it in a Paddyham accent. Paddyham's near Burnley. What are you doing missing his debut? But I said, well, well, you're missing it as well if you're doing this ride. And she said, I am. And she's a season ticket holder in the Stratford end. But she'd booked to try and do this ride like 18 months ago. It was cancelled last year. So nobody could have foreseen what was going to happen when Ronaldo signed a few weeks ago. So maybe I'll ask her to uh, put a ticket out there. <laughs> Seeing as well, I'm reading stories about how the demands are high for the game at Old Trafford. So it's going to be really weird um, being somewhere in Scotland as the game's on. I'm used to being at Manchester United games or if I'm if I'm not there um, watching it on, on a screen and that's just not going to be able to, to happen. My day at the moment is I wake up at 5am in a, a one-man tent. I've not slept in a tent since I've been like seven years old. And then I hit the road well before seven. So it's still dark. And then I spent, well, I spent 11 hours of the last two days on a bike, but I'm doing it in conjunction with Manchester United's foundation. Every penny is going to um, help educate uh, kids in Manchester with defibrillator machines, get them to learn how to do CPR, basic first aid. Every single one of them will get a book. Um, so it's a whole educational process and that was fired up by what I saw in the summer with Christian Eriksen and also meeting a lad from Wibbenshaw who's a footballer and he's a United fan and his brother Kyle dropped dead while playing football and Astley Mulholland is the captain of Trafford he's going to come and meet me on Wednesday when the ride passes closest to Manchester at Haydock between Manchester and Liverpool so not really keeping track of anything somebody just sent me a message before saying that's why I love Jesse Lingard so much. And I said, why, what's happened? And he just said he scored twice and played brilliantly for England. And I just wouldn't know, I've just not seen any news because I'm spending all of my waking hours in a saddle. But I feel quite euphoric at the moment because I've managed to do two days and I've just proved to myself that I can do this. And I'm gonna crack on um, through um, into Wales on on Monday, I'd loads of United fans get in touch and say you're passing through my local town. Is there anything I can do for you? So I really do do appreciate that. But I'm 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 all right. I've got I've got my supplies and stuff, and I just want to use every minute to ride, and then I can sleep at night. Anyway, I hope you have not bored you all with this message, and uh, I'll I'll let you know how I'm going towards the end of the ride as I head up north 
um, towards Manchester and then up through Preston, uh, Carlisle, Edinburgh and then right through Scotland as well. Hope you have a good pod everyone. Fantastic Andy, every single one of us on the podcast, very, very proud of you indeed. Keep going mate if you're listening to this. We're all supporting you and we're all glad that it's you doing it as well, <laughs> in the nicest possible sense of course. Um, if you want to support Andy in his fundraising, take a look at the show notes uh, below this link to the podcast and also as well there's lots of updates from Andy constantly on his Twitter account when he's not in the saddle he seems to be on his phone letting people know how he's getting on there's also some information there as well about how you can win uh, a pair of boots match warm boots from Luke Shaw as well who is supporting Andy's plight through the Manchester United Foundation Ride Across Britain is an absolutely gruelling challenge uh, but Andy's doing it for a fantastic cause. So please support him. He's well on his way already to smashing his fundraising total. And of course, every single one of us, Andy, is right behind you as well. Laurie, you've been cycling, haven't you? Well, I was just listening to Andy reel out those stats then. I was thinking, why am I whinging about my little effort yesterday? <laughs> I, I, I did the Tour de Manc, well, the half Tour de Manc, which is 100k. Last minute notice, my mates called me up and said, oh, do you fancy doing this? I'm doing this. And I thought, I can't let him do it on his own. So got the bike out for the first time this year. Obviously, it was a purchase during lockdown uh, that has been used, <laughs> what, three or four times? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was ridiculous hills. But I'm looking at the elevation. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my Strava, 1,400 metre elevation gain. What was Andy saying? He was like double that, wasn't he? I was thinking the hills might have been the reason why I struggled so much. But clearly, Andy's just a better cyclist. Um, yeah, and, and the bum thing, right? Why don't they make bikes with like cushions or something? Like, you, why did he make it so that it, it's so painful just to sit on it? Um, they're, they're my two gripes, but it was great. We got up to the hills, um, up, up, up Werner Flow Way, um, up Middleton Way. Uh, great scenes of Manchester. Uh, it was a really fun day um, and lots of people getting involved. Um, so, yeah, hats off to Andy though for his, his endeavour because that is something else. Carl, when was the last time you rode a bike? Oh, it's got to be more than 10 years ago, which is really embarrassing. A bit. I'm the same, to be honest. I did have this whole sort of, oh, it's the lockdown, I'll, I'll get a bicycle. And when I moved up to Manchester, I went, it'll be great. I'll, you know, start cycling around Manchester a bit. And then I knocked it back and I said, oh, when, when life opens up a bit, I'll get some courses from the council and be be road ready and still haven't bought a bicycle. Still haven't done that. There, there was literally cobwebs <laughs> on my bike when I went and got it out of the shed. <laughs> Well, there's no cobwebs on Andy Mitten. And like I say, fantastic work, Andy. You keep going, pal. And we look forward to an update on a future podcast about how he's getting on. Somewhere in Wales, he said, on Monday. So he might have made it back into England up towards Merseyside by the time this podcast drops as well. For more updates and selfies with trained staff in tents <laughs> and wherever he is, some beautiful scenery around the country, take a look at Andy's Twitter account. But as Andy mentioned there in his little journal for us, Jesse Lingard's also been showing there's no cobwebs on him despite not stepping out for a while. He had a great night at Wembley on Sunday. Stepping in. Oh, lovely skill from Bellingham. Beautiful. On to Saka now. Hingle on the front foot. Steered away by Valles. Comes back to Jesse Lingard! England lead. It's taken just 18 minutes for England to make the breakthrough. It's Lingard's first goal since November 2018, England colours. And Gareth Southgate's team lead. 
Saka, lots of space out on the far side. Lingard was waiting for the ball and got it. It's Jesse Lingard! It is beautiful! And England have their third goal. Just opens up the space and almost looks like he hits it with his toe. He just knuckleballs it into that far corner. Lingard, short corner. Header by Saka, 4-0. Quick thinking from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Into Lingard, fired into Saka. And the most popular goal scorer... Yeah, four goals for England against Andorra. Jesse Lingard involved in three of those with one assist and two goals. I suppose, Carl, it beats playing in behind closed doors friendlies, doesn't it? Absolutely. I'm really happy for Jesse Lingard. I know he's had a lot of problems on and off the pitch and there's often been the perception about Lingard that he's uh, more focused on hashtag J-Lings. And the bre- I did I did do the hand motion. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, you I seem quite why. joyous at the prospect. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, I know there's the, there's the perception that Lingard is someone who isn't particularly focused on his football and hasn't always been focused on his football. But I think what's happened over the basically 2021, you know, his time at West Ham and when he does get his appearances, is that he outworks everyone. Like Jesse Lingard's a bit of a gym rat. He will not shirk the nitty gritty dirty stuff and look he's not the most technically skilled player on the ball but in terms of his ability to manipulate space and interpret space and and work off the ball as well he's one of the better football players in the Premier League at that very particular skill let me caveat that Um, and it's a bit of a shame that he possibly won't get a starting role at a football team right now I don't think he is a star player for Manchester United or possibly will ever be a starring player a star player for Manchester United, but I think he's definitely good enough to have a starring role for United when those games come. You know, the Carabao Cup will be coming up soon. I'm sure he'll get a start there and will probably impress against West Ham. Uh, and I'm sure he'll he'll have very good performances for United and up until the January window when we see what happens next with his career. Um, Lingard's a good player. We should always remember that. And we stop being so, so surprised when that happens. No, he certainly reminded us at West Ham, didn't he? And he did for England the other night. And this looked more like a West Ham Lingard, Laurie, than a Manchester United one of late. Yeah, number 10 on his back. You know, he's in that role central to play where he can get in the box and he can sort of make things happen, you know, rather than being on the periphery, which is, you know, both on the pitch and in sort of in the squad is what he kind of has been at Manchester United. Um, I mean, the goals that he scored, though, both of them really good finishes, like different foot. Um, I mean, the second one was a bit of a toe bung, which sort of reminded me of my six aside attempts um, each toe week. Toe bung, knuckleball. I, you said I heard that from Lee Dixon. Knuckleball's giving it a bit too much sheen. I mean, that, that was a toe bung in my book. A toe bung. <laughs> he never, hit it with his I've, toe. Was the commentary line? I've never heard that phrase before. A toe bung. Have you not, Carl? Oh. No. A toe bung. There you are. There's, there's a southerner in me. Maybe is that Basically, another mate, thing? that was the only way. Well, not the only way. There was plenty of ways, but it's perhaps <laughs> the best way to discredit anyone. <laughs> yeah. At primary school playing football, was that you'd not hit the ball well? It was a toe bung finish, yeah. like oh, toe poke, toe poke, toe poke as well, or toe yeah. poke. Toe, yeah, maybe toe bung, maybe toe bung's bung. the uh, the northern. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discredit people with it. I'm, I'm saying great effort. I'm, listen, any way you get the ball in that goal, fair play. You know, it was outside the box. For me, 
It's a toe ball. Even the way you're saying that's condescending, Laurie. <laughs> However, you want to get the ball, you know, come on. So yeah, to be fair, who, who am I to be giving Jesse Lingard, you know, uh, technique advice? He just scored two goals in a World Cup qualifier. So. And an assist. However, the, you the... want to get the ball in the net, Jesse. <laughs> the cross. I'm, I'm bigging up the cross as well. You know, go short for the corner, turn straight away, pick out Bakayo Saka, you know, not the tallest. So for him to get an easy header is, is a pretty good cross. Um, I don't know. I, he, he would have started against Leeds. Solskjaer said, you know, Lingard, if, if he hadn't been ill. So I think, you know, maybe there will be occasions for him in certain matches where he wants that industry. Um, it got to a stage previously before he went to West Ham, uh, before the start of last season, where there was frustration with, you know, his, his ability to, to keep hold of the ball. There was that famous um, sort of scene away to Man City where Lingard kept losing it and Solskjaer, you know, basically let rip and said, if you do that one more time, you're coming off. Um, with a few expletives put in there, um, but I think everyone appreciates he's a nice guy. You know, he's a, he's a good lad. Um, I think he preferred to stay at Man United this summer. I think West Ham were were definitely interested in taking him. The price was probably always a bit too much, but if he'd have pushed it, I think something could have happened there. Well, well he actually thought, no, I want to stay around and want to be at Manchester United. Um, and so I think that's sort of fair enough. And I think there could be a a situation for him. We, we've seen. You know, again, we've we always talked about, and we'll get onto the squad. But you know, United not having the the options off the bench. I think I think Lingard does provide a genuine option off the bench because he can score in those moments where it doesn't take him too long. He doesn't need a whole match to warm up. Um, you know, he can kind of ghost into those areas, or he can you know shoot from outside the distance with a lovely curling effort. Um, not a toe bung always. We've seen against Panama, for example, the World Cup. You know, he loves that cutting in and and, and curling it. Um, I, I I think it's quite maybe I'm being soppy, but I, I think it's quite nice that he's still around United squad. You know, he's obviously been from the academy. Um, he's he's been out on loan and, and, and done it the hard way really to sort of break through at Man United because he was a small kid when he was you know in the FA Youth Cup team um, you know, with Paul Pogba. Um, and and I've I've kind of got a quite like the fact that he's still around because um, one of my uh, one of our American bosses at the Athletic is a big Jesse Lingard fan. And as a little gift, uh, I think I can say this, uh, bought me uh, a few Jesse Lingard memorabilia. Uh, so there's a phone, there's a phone case, uh, there's a woolly hat, and there was actually a face mask that I did wear at Old Trafford uh, proudly. Uh, Mark Critchley <laughs> at the Independent also had the same Jesse Lingard mask with the handshake that Carl did for us on the Zoom. Uh, and, and yeah, but it's, it's a bit tatty now, so it's, it's in the drawer again. That's a lovely story, Laurie. You can definitely tell that, certainly. Let's get soppy about another Manchester United reserve. Is it fair to call him this? I don't know. Who's scored an international duty? Anthony Martial scored in a one-all draw for France against the Ukraine. Incredibly, it was only his second goal for his country in 28 caps and his first one for five years, Karl Anker. Yeah, he's a strange one. I didn't, I didn't, expect, I didn't expect Martial to make the France squad. Uh, in the first place, um, it seems that Didier Deschamps enjoys him uh, and enjoys having him around the French camp. Uh, you know, to to peep behind the magician's curtain a little bit. It's a Monday morning. I had my editorial chat, uh, and the big boss goes, "All right, what do you want to write about about Manchester United this week?" And I said, "Martial made the squad. You scored. That's weird. I should probably go figure out what people in France think about Anthony Martial." Um, so I will probably be doing that sometime this week and figuring out. We look forward to that, Carl. Plug plug. Uh, Look into that perception. He, I imagine, he might be a bit tense now that a certain uh, number seven person has arrived at Manchester United. I think what's been quite interesting throughout Martial's pronounced slump is how Solskjaer always compliments him, um, and he often uses 
doesn't call him Martial but calls him Anto. Uh, and whenever Martial has a bad game, which unfortunately is increasingly often, we'll say he tried his best or he wanted to run out and whatnot. Let's see if Solskjaer starts calling Martial Martial rather than Anto now that he doesn't need to rely on Martial to get his form back. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Martial now. Will he pay attention to Cavani and Ronaldo as to how to make those second and third movements? Will he learn how to make near post runs and, and, and back post runs as well? But for now, there's there's a good version of Martial out there and he tends to play from France. And look, N'Golo Kante wasn't playing for France. So I can't even just say it's because N'Golo Kante this time. <laughs> That's true. Um, Anthony Alanga has been doing good stuff as well, Laurie. Yeah, um, I watched his highlights before we came on here because I thought I need I need to actually see how he finished these goals, and they were both really good finishes. It looked like he stretched the play for Sweden under twenty ones. Okay, the opposition I don't think were great, but um, yeah, he's got that enthusiasm about him that Solskjaer absolutely loves. Um, he's got good technique; it definitely could could be improved upon, but. Um, he's he's a willing runner, and you know United could have loaned him out this summer. You know he was on that list alongside kind of your Lingard, your Dan James as forward players. That w- would they get enough time? Ahmad being another one that they they were. You know they they basically loaned him out to Feyenoord until his injury. Whereas Anthony Langer actually never progressed really with anything going out, so they actually wanted to keep him in house. Hopefully he gets, you know, it'll be around the first team picture for sure, training. Um, but it might be 23's games that he gets his, um, you know, actual match action, which is above that level really now. Um, so it's going to be a difficult balance to make sure that he gets enough of a push, enough of a challenge from those matches to, to, to keep improving. Um, but I suppose if he's going away with Sweden under 21s, that should give him an, an extra bit of um, of a kick, you know, di- different environment, I suppose, to, to push him on. But no, I think he's a he's a really interesting player and, and someone that's kind of come to the fore a little bit over the last sort of six, eight months. Yeah, one Manchester United player who only featured in the first round of international matches and not the second, of course, is Cristiano Ronaldo after his booking, after taking off his shirt with his record-breaking goal meant that he could come and enjoy the Manchester sunshine a few days early. Well, unfortunately for Cristiano, if he's not looked out of his window, there's no sunshine in Manchester today. We're back to the grey cloud. Yeah, Carl Anker's laughing. There's a man who knows all about the Manchester climate now. Um, one thing about Ronaldo we need to talk about since we last spoke is the confirmation of the number seven shirt. It's an interesting tale, Laurie, because this doesn't happen very often, does it? No, yeah. I mean, originally, we weren't sure it could happen because Premier League rules basically state that as soon as the season starts, once you've assigned a number, that's it for the season. Um, there is a couple of clauses, basically, if a player moves on during the season and that number becomes available, you can switch it. So... Interestingly, Daniel James was the number 21 and then he goes to Leeds and Edison Cavani's 21 for Uruguay and then he's kind of happy to get that number and allow Ronaldo to get seven. So it's sort of, I know, maybe it's a bit Machiavellian of me to think that that was at play there. Um, I'm, I'm sure it was more the fact that United could actually get a good transfer value for a player that probably wasn't going to feature all that much, but it, it sort of worked out quite neatly. Um, the alternative uh, was that United could just pay apparently a two two and a half thousand pound fine, <laughs> which in the scheme of things, <laughs> can afford it. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's so minuscule, uh, it's not true. Um, weirdly, United and and the Premier League are kind of both being pretty tight lipped about exactly how it shook down. Um, but I suppose whatever, uh, Ronaldo's the number seven, and there was obviously the social media announcement with the kind of printing of the shirt Ronaldo and seven and. You know, the next morning, um, there's a queue of 200 people outside the megastore at Old Trafford before 10am waiting to get, you know, this shirt. And it's the uh, biggest sales day of of shirts at Manchester United in the history. So you can kind of see the the kind of pull that Ronaldo brings. And it kind of touches on that 
um, piece that Phil Buckingham wrote um, with myself and James Horncastle about the commercial impact that um, Ronaldo will bring. I know that shirt sales aren't, you know, it's not like he sells this number of shirts and United get all that money. It's obviously already banked and it's a very small amount that they get from shirt sales. But in a broader picture, you can see the kind of commercial impact and sponsorship uplift that he might bring. Yeah, the marketing people are definitely happy, aren't they? CR7's brand is intact and at Cavani Official 21, which is Edison's Instagram handle, is now obviously relevant once again as well. So I'm sure all those people are very pleased. Here's our marketing bit. I need to remind you that you can still get a 33% uh, discount on a subscription to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod for a third off a subscription to The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, let's talk about the Women's Super League then because Manchester United kicked off their campaign at the weekend and domestic television coverage in the UK is likely to provide a threshold year for the competition after the strides that have been made in recent years as well. For United, the great challenge once again is breaking up the dominance of the big three, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City. They got very close to it last year, Carl. Can they do it this year? Can they break up the big three? This one's going to be hard, really, really hard. So top three in the Super League uh, qualify for the Champions League, guaranteed money in the Champions League group stages. And it feels very late 90s, early 2000s Premier League in terms of how much of a difference that guaranteed Champions League money does for your kitty. Uh, Obviously, you can just say, well, why don't Manchester United's owners spend more money to bridge the gap? But who's Manchester United's owners? Uh, I had a conversation with Mark Skinner, the brand new manager, just before, just after they completed preseason training camp in Scotland. Uh, and Skinner is, entered the women's team in tumultuous circumstances, shall we say? So, following the departure of Casey Stoney and the exodus of a number of players, Skinner's in. He used to be at Birmingham City, used to be at Orlando Pride. Uh, during his time at Birmingham City, there were the last. Super League team to break the top three. That isn't the currently established top three, uh, but that was several years ago to give a case of how hard this is. And he kept talking about adaptability. Uh, he wanted his team to play in a number of ways. And he sounded confident, but confident in that way where you finish the conversation, you go home, you take your chicken out the freezer and you go, you didn't really answer any of the big questions there. So maybe it's going to take everything 
from Manchester United women's team, I don't know where they're going to get enough goals from, especially now that teams like City have re-upped and got someone like Barney Shaw in. It's going to take everything United women's have to get into that top three. Um, and if they do it, hooray, fantastic. If they don't, you know, not, not a catastrophe yet. Is this season starting with the same sort of fanfare, Carl, as, as last year? Because there was a real sort of sense of momentum behind Manchester United at this point of last year. Of course, Casey Stoney had had time to build the team up. There was Kristen Press and Tobin Heath who had joined to a massive fanfare as well. It doesn't really feel like there's that same sort of sense of expectation. Yeah, I think I remember tweeting just after Tobin Heath and Kristen Press joined last season saying, I said, you know, Manchester United have essentially turned the top three into the top four. And that actually happened, in fairness. That did happen. And they, but it was, I think it was the way they started that season because they started so well. And you, you, you know, at Christmas time, United women were top of the table. And it come to January transfer window, you're going, are they going to kick on, get in two or three extra signings to, to keep the squad depth and, and make a push for those Champions League spots? Unfortunately, they didn't. And the season ended on a bit of a damp squib. And then the departures, everyone involved. I think, unfortunately, this is less of a season where United women will be looking up to the top three places and more perhaps looking behind and saying, can we keep our position in fourth? Can we consolidate fourth position? They probably should do that. I think their biggest rival for fourth spot is Everton. But I think they, they have just enough there. Skinner is a pragmatic coach. And I mean pragmatic in the truest sense in that if he thinks the best way to win a game is to you know defend deep and sort of nick one on a set piece, he'll do that. And if he thinks the best way to win a game is to you know, go all out attack, he'll do that as well. So it's going to be tricky. I'm not sure if they will reach the heights they reached last season, but absolutely, if you are interested in women's team, in women's football, and if you're interested in Manchester United as a concept, I think it's important to, especially now it's on free television, I think you should pay attention to this. One thing I will also say is I was a bit disappointed to see Manchester United didn't tweet about it from their main social media account all weekend. So, you know, while it's all well and good talking about the Cristiano Ronaldo media content production complex, it would have been nice to see a retweet. Uh, it would have been nice for, for the main account to acknowledge that the women's team was playing on the weekend. And they won against Reading. Yeah, it was a winning start as well, wasn't it? Listen to this. Here come Reading. It's a strike from distance. An early sighter, and you know from Brooke Chapman, if she gets an opportunity, she will take a shot at goal, and she's got the ability to find those top corners. Well, that's an awkward one for Cooper. She's made a mess of it. Galton's there. What an opportunity for Leah Galton, the best of the game for Manchester United. Not sure if it took Leah Galton by surprise. Just bounced up, and Faye Bryson managed to throw herself in front of it to put her off. Here come United once again. Play through to Kirsty Hansen. Hansen! She plays the back of the net. And it's the opening goal of the brand new WSL season. It's for Kirsty Hansen of Manchester United. Eicheland. Here's Harry's in the centre. Has she been pulled down? It's, oh, what a strike from Brooke Chaplin! How close was that? Unbelievable strike from Brooke Chaplin. Such power. Fires straight off the crossbar. Could have easily bounced straight in. That to me looks incredibly close. 
Turn from Toon. Badia once again looking for a first goal for Manchester United. And she has it. United's player of the season last campaign. What a strike from her. And she's doubled the lead. Marvellous finish from Badia. What a way to open your Manchester United account. How good did that crowd sound, Laurie? There's as much excitement there as was at Old Trafford against Leeds. Yeah, good sound. And and you know, looking at Lee Valley uh, Sports Stadium, it, it was a, a pretty decent attendance. You know, I've been to um, under 23s matches there, and you know, once, if you get a, a good crowd in there, even on just on the one side, it, it sort of gets a good atmosphere about it. So I know that sometimes the facilities haven't, you know, certainly at Carrington haven't been exactly what the women's team want um, you know but Lee I think is, is quite a good stadium for them to be playing in it because you can get a good atmosphere and that's what you want right if you're growing a, a product like they are with the women's super league you want a good attendance you want a good noise in the background um, and to be fair you know Manchester United women's team gave them the goals to, to celebrate as well you know first one really nice finish and the second one um, definitely wasn't a toe bung it was a, a lovely curl into the top <laughs> corner Hashtag Tobung is going to get mentioned quite a lot, isn't it, across these next few weeks. Of course, we'll keep an eye on the Manchester United women's team and update you throughout the season. So good luck to Mark Skinner and his side as they look to break down the big three of the WSL. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, let's round off today's pod then with some more chat about the men's squad. We were absolutely inundated with questions once again this week from listeners, so thank you very much. Again, look out for your opportunity to put questions to Carl and Laurie on the real-time section of the Athletic app. We need to talk about squad depth. We've spoken already today about Jesse Lingard. We seem to speak every single podcast about Donny van der Beek. I have never spoken so much about a player who doesn't play, but hopefully he will in future weeks and we'll reflect on that. So let's speak about some of the more peripheral figures, shall we say, in the Manchester United squad. So first up on the roll call, Carl, Diogo Delo. He's a funny one, isn't he? So Laurie wrote an excellent piece near the end of the transfer window last season where he... It basically explains Solskjaer thought Dolo was a bit too timid both on the ball when he was playing and it, apparently he was a bit of a timid character in the dressing room around Carrington where if he wasn't selected for for, for games he, he can go within himself and, and I'm not going to use the word sulk but not be the brightest character. Is that fair to say, Laurie? Yeah, I think you so. You just said sulk, Carl. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say sulk. Uh, I, I, I did watch him in, in fits and starts during his loan at AC Milan and he was cromulent, decent, you know. Yeah, he, he seemed fine. Nothing about him seemed, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe Manchester United let, let him go and said, we have to get him back in the same way that, you know, I watched a lot of Tomori play for AC Milan and I thought Chelsea are going to regret that. Um, Dolo was 
decent. I watched him in the Europa League tie against United and I thought he was okay. You know, it was very, very much a case of, well, if you know the player you're up against because you've trained against them at Carrington for this time, surely you should be a bit more aggressive at going towards them. But again, Dolo was okay. I think he's probably better in possession going forward than Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And that will be the interesting thing about him this season because while Wan-Bissaka is a fantastic right back in the 1v1s and he is of a special use uh, and he's really needed in certain games United have where they essentially you know, want to throw all the attackers forward and leave basically one centre-back and Wan-Bissaka to cover the rest of the space. There will be games where I think you don't need to start Wan-Bissaka. I think in a game against, let's say, a Norwich or a Brighton, shall we say, where you are expecting Manchester United to dominate possession. I think there'll be certain games at home at Old Trafford, especially, where United will be expected to get 60, 65% possession. I think you could probably start Dalo. You could probably see if he can offer a little bit more on the right flank, especially now there is someone like Jaden Sancho ahead of them. I think United need to get away from the system where everything goes down the left-hand side. Sancho will help with that. But also, I think there will be a chance for, for Dolo to get some, some game time if he if he can prove to Solskjaer on the training ground that he is a different kind of right-back to Wan-Bissaka because there is definitely space for that sort of player in this team right now. Yeah, I, I would echo pretty much everything that Carl said. Um, I think that clearly United were looking at Trippier as an, as an option this summer. Um, they couldn't find really a compromise with Atletico Madrid and pretty soon in the summer I think we're, we're content you know, to have Diogo Dello as, as the alternative right back to Ambasaka. Certainly that's what other clubs were told when they were making inquiries. Dortmund came with a, a late loan bid but United I think put the, the fee quite high, sort of 5 million euro, something like that and, and AC Milan were certainly awarded off by that and I think Dortmund as well in the end and, and it, you know, it, it clearly didn't really go anywhere with him going out so that meant you know, Trippier coming in was, was a non-starter at that point. Um, but yeah, it was interesting seeing him come on um, against Wolves in the kind of right wing slot. Um, so, you know, sort of uh, bolts and braces approach from, from, from Solskjaer <laughs> there to sort of see out the 1-0 win. He got booked in that sort of one minute of normal time on the pitch that he had. Good luck. Yeah, so there we go. Maybe he's listened. Maybe he's, maybe he's not as timid as, as we once thought. Um, but I think, yeah, he had a good summer, didn't he, away with Portugal. I think that's obviously going to help his confidence. And as Carl mentioned, I think he is somebody that can be affected by sort of swings in confidence. So he's still only 22. Um, he is better on the ball than Wan-Bissaka. You just want him to be more assertive, I suppose, and kind of get on the ball, demand it. Maybe he's just a bit too, you know, he's a young player, so maybe he feels like it's not his place necessarily to do that. But, you know, he, he can he can improve on that kind of thing. So um, obviously United will work with him on the training pitches throughout the season and, and we'll see how he develops because I think United do need an alternative to Wan-Bissaka because it is... It's it's obvious that he's going to start pretty much every game, um, and yeah, he's obviously brilliant one on one defensively, the slide tackles, the clearance at Wolves. I don't think we actually mentioned that in the podcast last week. You know, the clearance on the line to sense the danger and then actually execute the the block uh, was a really difficult skill. Um, but I think when you're Man United and you you need to be going winning games, particularly against you know teams that will sit deep, then you need progressive players across the pitch across the width of the pitch not just on one side one thing he's very assertive about is correcting people who call him Diego um, <laughs> I've, I've been in his presence a few times doing interviews and as soon as someone says Diego 
Diogo. <laughs> Diogo. There's no E in it. I, I like that, though. I mean, so we've got Diogo Yotta as well, right? So he's, he's the same. Yeah. And as someone with a name that is difficult to perhaps pronounce for some people, L-A-U-R-I-E. Red lorry, yellow lorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not... I, you know about my uh, lead student uh, editorial uh, election days, do you? No? <laughs> that, that was, Absolutely not, but I feel like I want that, to. That now. was my slogan for winning the campaign <laughs> to be elected to lead student editor of a university. I can't believe it. Anyway, can you believe that works? No wonder you won. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lowry, uh, Laurie, you know, I get all sorts. So I'm, I'm with Diogo on that one. Yeah, I think Carl and me, Ian, don't really have those same sort of... <laughs> Issues. Although there was some Spanish people who called me Jan for a while, which was a bit odd. But anyway, <laughs> you look like a Jan. Let's move on. Let's talk about a Spanish person. Actually, one matter. Carl, discuss. He's nice, isn't he? He's lovely. He's lovely. Yeah. This this feels bad that Juan Matter is one of the longest serving players at Manchester United now. He there was definitely a I think basically up until Bruno Fernandez's arrival, he was top for got combined goals and assists at United as well. But if you ask me about you, know, you ask me about Juan Mata, the thing that comes to mind isn't his contributions on the field. It will be he's nice. Um, I think the Premier League has unfortunately passed him by a little bit now, and I think he is being retained now more for the fact that he is a fantastic club ambassador. He's a good club servant, and will most likely be retained to be to have some form role at the club after he retires, be it in a coaching or or, or in an ambassadorial capacity. I can't really see him getting much playing time now, especially now uh, United have further bolstered their attacking options. I think Jaden Sancho, could, because Jaden Sancho can play in the number 10 position and on the left as well, there's fewer opportunity for Wamata to start. And also I think when Ahmad returns from his thigh injury, he can also, he'll probably also move ahead of Wamata in the hierarchy. Or at least, I would hope so. Wamata's um, skills are still good passing Possibly, you know, if he could do it from a deeper position, you'd say he has quote-unquote metronomic passing, but he's always lacked that extra bit of physicality to play in deeper central areas as well. But uh, there was a time when he was the best or one of the better players at Manchester United, but also that was a time when Manchester United weren't a very good football team. And now I think United are on to different things. If... Andy Mitten was here, I'd be saying to Andy, he's playing the Brian McClare role, isn't he? Because as a kid, I, I just have vivid memories of McClare being at the side of the pitch in his shorts and socks and shin pads, ready to be called upon at any point when needed with the ball underneath his arm. And my dad always used to say to me, he has to get a game. He brings the ball every week. Um, he was a great player, wasn't he, Brian McClare? But towards the end, he just seemed to be forever the number 13. Um, and it feels a bit like one matters not even... Not even the Brian McClare, actually, Laurie, in some ways. He's fallen even even lower than that in the pecking order, hasn't he? Yeah, well, he played against uh, Stoke in the Old Trafford friendly last week. And obviously, Andy uh, relayed the information that he had from that. And, and similar, I got told that Juan Mata ran the show, uh, you know, was was like, was like brilliant. But it's against Stoke in a in a, in a closed-door friendly. So, which which isn't really what he would probably want to be doing at this stage of his career. But, but alternatively, he's, he's signed a contract extension, so he obviously is satisfied being at Manchester United, happy. Um, I think the off-the-pitch stuff is, is great, and the fact that he can he's a calm presence, an intelligent guy, having him around the squad, you know, giving little tips to, to the younger players is, is great. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of money, you know, it's I think over 100 grand a week, you know, United pay him, so... It's not an insignificant sum for a player that, you know, how often is he going to feature? 
last season actually um, at times you know clearly had the, the, the personal problems that, that kept him out of the team um, with, with a you know family bereavement um, for a period. Um, but actually, Solskjaer did turn to him on, on occasions, and there was a period, was it the season before, where he would, he was actually a starter in, in certain games, you know, cutting in from the right, those crosses into deep. He has got a lovely technique, and, and his passing range is, is really good. It just feels like now, you know, he was never the quickest player, so the Premier League perhaps never totally suited him, even though he tore it up for Chelsea, you know, for two or three years in a row, was their player of the year, wasn't he? Um, I think now that he's at the age that he's at, it's, it finds it probably too a bit too difficult to you know can't get up and down the wing for example it can't be the number ten because that's Bruno's position and you know you kind of want him to be all action as well so finding a role for him is going to be a little bit tricky it'll be basically cameos won't it it'll be Carabao Cup games cameos off the bench you know if, if United are really struggling to unpick a team um, I think he could come on and he can just basically stay around the edge of the box and, and try and thread those passes um, but yeah I think that's probably the 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 ultimate um, sort of the ultimate ask for him this season, and we'll see next summer. You'd think now with Jane Santa in the building, that would you know put that one to rest. Carl, do you remember Eric Bay? <laughs> I I do indeed. He's he's fun. He's a lot of fun, isn't he? What's going to happen with him this year? <laughs> Who knows? I think we've we spoken on this podcast before. Laurie noises. Laurie once did a very brilliant section towards the end of last season where he basically went here's all of the unlucky things that happened to Eric Bay. Uh they involved car accidents they involved injury they involved positive covid tests uh, I, I don't know who he annoyed once but he needs to start walking around with a four-leaf clover and a rabbit's foot I think Bay is in a really tricky situation in that now Raphael Varane's coming he's fourth choice I would say I'd say he lost the battle with Victor Lindelof to be Harry Maguire's partner last season because you know the erratic nature of Bayes defending and also the fact that Eric Bay is quite quiet as a centre-back. That came across a lot in some of the closed-door games that there were two or three times where you could see Victor talking to Harry about move up, do this, do that. Whereas Bay didn't really talk too much and, and you know, silence is death for a centre-back. It was only when Dean Henderson came into the touch into the team that Bay looked at I mean he had that block against Aston Villa but Henderson was a real boon to him because Henderson basically reminded Bay when to set offside traps and what to do next uh, again I think Bay will probably be a uh, League Cup individual going forward uh, he's Mike, I have a theory for Bayern in that when people say he, he's a bit mad and he does a bit of weird things I think he's a defender who is very good when he can in terms of marking a man I think he's one of the better centre-backs in the Premier League in terms of taking on Jamie Vardy I know Vardy does not like playing against him uh, and he, but he does have those moments where he seems to flash out a limb and he doesn't seem to understand why and I think he's got quite a g- natural raw understanding of marking the space so he does have moments where he can be quite good at jockeying an attacker and moving them into less dangerous areas but I'm not sure he knows why he's doing it and then he switches back to, oh, marking the, the human being. Let me just like batter him and do a tackle. And that's why you have those strange moments where you're going, Eric, what are you doing? He's fun to watch, uh, but sometimes a bit too nerve-wracking. Uh, it's times like this where you almost wish, almost, this is not going to happen this season, but you almost wish there were some Europa League standard games before January happens so you can get a look at more of these squad players. Laurie, what do you make of Eric? Unlucky, needs a loan. 
he has had bad luck, but then equally, he sometimes has caused his own bad luck. I mean, I remember, uh, was it a charity shield game or community shield game at Wembley where he sort of went careering into uh, an opponent and, and came, you know, head bandaged um, all up. And it sort of feels like a lot of times on the pitch, he, um, you know, flies into these situations that then result in some kind of calamity befalling either him or Man United. You know, the Spurs game, the 6 1 last season was his big opportunity really to stake a claim and it went disastrously. Um, and that's not to say that there has been some moments where he's, he's gone in and, and won the ball brilliantly and, and then come away with it. You know, he can really drive with the ball. Um, it's quite entertaining to watch him. But yeah, fourth choice centre-back for sure. Um, and I mean, he signed a new contract, didn't he, up until 2024 with the option of a further year. And he's not that old. He is... I think he's 26 or 27. He's 27 now. So you actually, he could be a player that United have some transfer value in. You know, it depends obviously whether, again, the salary comes down to it. You know, he's obviously paid more at Manchester United than he probably would get anywhere else. So it's whether he would want to play football and take a bit of a cut or do some kind of deal with United. But you could see him being a player of value that somebody else would buy, you know, another Premier League, like a Crystal Palace maybe, or something where they would go, right, actually, this guy is, you know, Premier League pedigree, we'll, we'll pay a good amount for him, you know, he can be our starting centre-back and, and that would appeal to him, you might think. Um, I'm not trying to sell the guy, like I think he's, you know, had some good moments. Are you sure? Yeah, it does sound like it. Can I get commission? Um, it does sound like he's, he's had some good moments, sorry. Um, but I feel like, yeah, fourth choice centre-back at 27, you know, United have got Ted and Mengi still in the building. So you, you kind of think he, and Phil Jones, you know, Phil, Phil Jones isn't going to go anywhere for a while because he needs to prove his fitness first. So clubs aren't necessarily going to be, you know, banging down the door for him. Um, so he would easily be the, the kind of experienced, perhaps number four and, and Ted and Mengi alternating. So you've got enough defenders in there. And I feel like Eric Bailly will ultimately get squeezed out. Yeah, Carl's got a great article on The Athletic at the moment. It's actually, Carl, I think I should actually really state this. You've said it's the strongest squad that Manchester United have had since Sir Alex Ferguson left, which is quite a statement in fairness. Um, but the strength is in defence, the strength's in attack, the strength's not in midfield. Again, lots and 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 lots of questions about midfield in the mailbag. Lots of references to McFred, lots of references to players who didn't join, um, people like Saul and Kamavinga. Um Sonny probably puts it the best. What's the best solution to cover the central midfield conundrum? Wingbacks. Off the top of my head. If I was playing... Now, I'm, I'm not a football coach. I, I never really play football to a high level. But if you have a surplus of wide attacking players, which United certainly do, and you have weaknesses in central midfield areas, you would, and you've got extra centre-backs like Eric, Eric Bailly, and I have no idea if this is going to happen. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did use three at the back in 1920, and he did use it two or three times towards the start of last season. Uh, and Luke Shaw certainly helps. But off the top of my head, vaguely speaking, there is potential for a 3-5-2 with, let's see, Maguire, Varane, one of Bay and Lindelof. In your middle, you have the McFred partnership. And then you want to have Luke Shaw, left wing back. Right wing back is, you'd probably go for Dallow because he's better going forward. And then up front, 
do you want to have oh you can have Jaden Sancho in there somewhere as an attacking player as well but yeah wing backs try 3-5-2 I'll figure that out more when I look at uh, back I was going to say Kyle the, the biggest conundrum that people have seemed to reference when it's not been central midfield is how on earth do United fit all these attackers in <laughs> just giving them less yeah, space I'll give them less space Ronaldo can play right wing back maybe go on get him tracking back <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'd be, it's it's an interesting one in, in terms of central midfield. I think a lot of it, I think one of the other problems is a lot of the players you would think might succeed, McFred, uh, are now currently on loan. So Ethan Galbraith, James Garner are, are two players that I think are good enough to be playing Premier League football right now. Possibly not at Manchester United level, but I think I was surprised that Ethan Galbraith went on loan in League One. But obviously he's gone to a coaching staff that knew him uh, a previous season as well but I thought he was at least bottom half level uh, Premier League if not Championship level so it's gonna be tricky I still don't quite see Donny van der Beek getting more than 20 starts this season which is quite unfortunate I think Jaden Sancho will probably be the number two option for Manchester United in the number 10 position so he's probably lost his place in, in the pecking order behind Bruno Fernandes again behind Jesse Lingard as well Probably, yeah. uh, I think. I think if, Paul Pogba. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think if you play, I think Donny van der Beek in the number ten position with Jaden Sancho on the right hand side is going to make a lot of sense. You, I think if that game ever happens, you understand what Donny was purchased for and what he could bring. Um, when that will happen, I'm not sure. I think that's probably late. You know, you, you're probably waiting for a good FA Cup draw or a good League Cup draw on, on that. I think now you'll probably see Jaden Sancho take up those positions on number 10 and then Jesse Lingard move on to the right-hand side, especially if Lingard keeps up the way he wants. Although this, again, speaks to the, the, the strength of Manchester United and their squad now. They've got so many options in the front four and so many options in the back four. You just want two more central midfielders in the middle to keep it all together. We often get questions about why Donny van der Beek isn't one of those two, you know, deeper midfield positions and... Do we get questions about that, Laurie? I've never noticed. <laughs> we, 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 get a, we get a few, Ian. You maybe, yeah, passed you by. <laughs> uh, I, I know you were joking. <laughs> Is that, the eye rolls there. Um, but his agent uh, came out over the weekend, Guido Alves, and said, basically said that number 10, you know, he, he called him a number 10. So that kind of puts to bed that question. I know he, he probably could play there, but it, it's like maybe putting Bruno Fernandes there. You know, it just would be a bit weird. You know, it's midfield, yeah, but it's a different type of, of role um, and what you're asking from him. And then, and that's what I think I've explained in the piece we did before the end of the transfer window when I talked about Sal Niguez and, and the fact that people were asking about, why are you laughing, Ian? <laughs> Carry on, Laurie. No reason. <laughs> and this is why Sol- that's how Solskjaer sees him, number 10, in attacking role. So, that's where he, you know, he probably does his his best work, I suppose. Um, deeper midfield, you know, I guess Fred. I think he misses McTominay, doesn't he? You know, he misses a guy next to him who, um, who, who kind of has that sort of discipline. Um, I don't think Fred is great when he's alongside somebody that likes to get forward. I don't think he likes to just sit. He likes to run around the pitch, and we saw at Wolves, didn't we? That they got bypassed in that manner. Um, so yeah, I mean, United clearly do need someone in that position that can can do it all. Um, but you know, the idea of of getting a player like that is not going to come cheap. Um, and you know, they they obviously let 
Salnigas go to Chelsea and Camavinga, I think, always wanted Spain. So that kind of addresses a couple of questions that we had from other people think, as well, Ian. I think it's the one where doesn't come cheap is doesn't come cheap if you want him ready to go right now. And if we look at Solskjaer's recent signings, 1920, getting Harry Maguire, younger player, will grow and develop. Getting Aaron Bissaka will grow and develop. And 1920, United have the youngest first team in 10 years. So, you know, most of those players don't remember France 98. And now as they've gotten a bit older and, and after some semi-final and final defeats, it looks as if Solskjaer's trying to buy veterans and trying to buy players that can just help them bridge the gap because they've been there. They've done that before. They know what it's like in an away game. They know what it's like playing the quarterfinal. They know what it's like winning trophies. And you could see that a bit more in those players. And, and there aren't that many ready-to-go defensive midfielders right now. And that's the, that's the difficult thing. And, and you know, we talk about United's interest in Declan Rice. That's great, but also Declan Rice is another young player that you'll probably, you know, he still needs to learn a little bit more on how he receives the ball from his centre-backs in that first phase, which is another thing United aren't great at. There are good, young, pivot central midfielders out there that can probably cost something between 20 million 25 million, you know, Kupminas just went to Atalanta for the better part of 15 million and he looks good and he looks like he might be, he could be Manchester United quality in four years. And I think that's, that's the difficult thing for Manchester United now where there are a lot of very fun young players out in Europe where you're going, does Solskjaer have the necessary bandwidth to teach them all the things that Manchester, that Manchester United player needs to learn, not even, not just on their tactical information, but like, just how to be a good club ambassador at this point in time. I think that's the extra extra wrinkle. Um, that's probably why I didn't buy one. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to talk about the midfield a lot more as this season goes on. So I think we probably should leave it there and maybe discourage people from asking quite so many questions about midfield and Donny van der Beek and McFred and all the bits in between. But gentlemen, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on Talk of the Devils. Great to have you back, Carl. I hope Rishi is now happy. Laurie, you're welcome always, as you know. Okay, before we go, just a reminder, you can still go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod for a 33% discount off a subscription to The Athletic. Thanks to Carl and Laurie. Thanks to all of you for listening once again as well. We're all off to join the number 10 queue behind Donny van der Beek. See you next time. Athletic.